Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. You could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, whatever time of the day or night it is. Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel listeners on the MBN. Today we've got Brian Amaral with us, I believe from the United States, and I'm together with my co-host Keeman. Brian, why don't you, rather than me try to introduce you on a mangled version of your LinkedIn profile, why don't you do us the honors in the way you would to someone who amazingly had never heard of you yet? Yeah, well, um, uh, first of all, thank you very much. I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to be joining your podcast today, and I'm sure this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I am essentially uh, today a, a retail technologist working with retailers uh, around customer-centric transformation. I'm working with tech companies that are trying to bring the right products or services uh, to the retail market in order to kind of facilitate that transformation. And I work a fair bit with private equity and venture that are really investing in this space. So I get a chance after to touch all of that. But my background is I've, I started out in retail very early in life. And, and then move from that into building solutions in, uh, in uh, around the, the retail industry, specifically around customer-centric engagement. So that's uh, today I, I run a company called Clientricity that really is boutique consultancy. Okay, and when you say very early in life, um, I've got <laughs> images of like preschool sweet retailing or something like that. How early is early in your... Well, you maybe, know, actually... Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's late for you. Yeah, so actually, you know, so I grew up in a retail family. Um, so I will tell you that I was being given a quarter a day to uh, to work in my father's uh, hardware and lumberyards um, as a child. So, I mean, I, I had no choice but to kind of find this industry at some point. Um, but uh, but I actually started my, my first retail business uh, and started applying technology to that uh, in the early 80s when I was in college and uh, basically took one of my courses. I'd started the menswear, custom clothing menswear business, uh, I guess in 1982, uh, initially just selling out of my car, eventually opening up showrooms around the country and, and doing that and started developing technology. I always loved technology. I thought I was going to be an engineer, right? I ended up hiring them instead. Uh, but it's uh, kind of how these things happen. Sure. But uh, decided to go the business route and uh, instead leveraging kind of early technology uh, to really enhance my retail business. And I actually started. Uh, All right, I got to I got to ask. So we're in a, you're it's 82. I like when you're like 20 years old or something like or you're whatever you're, you're in college, you're college age. And you're like, and but so like, what is this business? Like you have a you have a car and you, you bought, I guess, wholesale, you bought <laughs> Yeah. something and then you're yeah okay to somebody else. and now i'm trying to imagine where does tech come into this but like yeah all right the- all right so let me let me give you more detail on it all right so so here i am i had worked part-time in the men's where i i took a few years before i started college so i was involved in some athletics and while i was doing that i was i was basically working in some menswear stores and fell in love with with the retail industry and uh, started college and I decided that I really needed to make a living uh, while I was in school. So I said, okay, what I'm gonna do is start selling custom clothing to you know what I used to call the carriage trade, you know, to the affluent customers in the Philadelphia area, which is where I was going to school. And would literally go into their homes and offices and sell them custom made suits. Uh, nice, so door to and- door, first of all. Cause I door to door selling custom clothing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it kind <laughs> of, uh, I mean, it was, you know, it's called dialing for dollars, right? You're on the phone right. all day trying to get a couple of appointments. And then in between classes, you're out selling somebody some custom-made suits and shirts and uh, um, met some wonderful so people. custom-made suits and shirts are, so you're actually going, not only are you calling them, you're going, you're, are you measuring them? Are you actually going? Measuring, like, designing, like, like measuring. Yeah, I was a tailor. I mean, I was basically, yeah. you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a custom clothier more than a tailor. I tend to think of a tailor as a guy that's out of thread a needle. Um, right. And uh, I didn't have the real, you know, hands-on skills of, of manufacturing a garment, but we used shops that uh, that could do that for us. And and so, you know, I'd go in and uh, you know, we do a wardrobe consultation. Uh, actually, get certified, if you can believe this, as a as an image consultant uh, very early on in my career. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not back lost, in the dress I'm, for I'm... success days, right? You know, uh, but uh, the world's changed a lot since then uh, <laughs> you know so uh yeah but you know that the net on all of it was that uh that i would go in and and you know uh, help these uh these illustrious executives in the philadelphia <laughs> the new york market you know and i'd say okay you know we need to make you look taller thinner stronger uh we're gonna cut it this way we're gonna drop the button placement here we're gonna you know 
give you lots of linear pinstripes and, you know, make five foot four look like six foot two, uh, you know, do what you oh, could. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. That's yeah. so good. And yeah, so, so you, but like, so I'm just trying to imagine this. Did you actually have to print out catalog? Because I guess part of it is like, I mean, you can tell people how wonderful they're going to look, but like, are you also like, did you print out or maybe you, Maybe you had from the uh, wholesalers from Cat. Like, did you have some like visual aids for this or catalog? Well, yeah, very little. Like- I'll be very candid. You know, so I walked in with about. I mean, I had I had access to. I remember at the time, twelve thousand fabrics, right? So you have. Right. I had all these vendors right. like that. See, little tiny swatches, right? Lots of little tiny swatches, and I had three different manufacturers that made suits, and a couple of them that made uh, made my shirts, and I could order from catalogs. You know, footwear, belts, accessories, yeah. that kind of thing, right? And this is before I had a showroom, so I mean, it really was all in my trunk. It had to fit in the trunk of my car okay uh so uh you know so, so in the very earliest days you know we'd go in and you had you know you could describe the models you had drawings of what the garment models looked like but the truth was with menswear you know you were either cutting something that was unwanted and more of a very traditional kind of thing the sack suit from brooks brothers or in those days it was really the beginning of very fashion forward sorts of you know armani was was very hot at right. the time and all the rest of that so you kind of had those silhouettes and so when I would do is go through a wardrobe consultation. If a guy was a marketing guy, I wasn't putting him in all likelihood in a real traditional sacky suit and making him look like a banker. And, and, you know, that was, that was really kind of the types of things that we thought through. So we try to pick the right model and then it was storytelling truthfully. And it was drawing out the distinctions of how I'm going to make it, how I'm going to do these things. So, so, you know, and, you got to know your clients really well in that storytelling process. And you really kind of got, I mean, it almost became psychotherapy to be very honest with you with some of these guys. I believe you know, it. Like, you, know, uh, you probably got to know a lot more than you needed to know. In many cases, I have things their wives never wanted to know, but anyhow, <laughs> but uh, no, they were, they were an interesting, I mean, it was some of the most fun things I ever did. And I was a guy in my twenties. I mean, I was, you right. know, a young man, you know, kind of interacting with, with these people and then started hiring people Um and became very clear I couldn't manage the business and all the details with the business internally. So I had loved technology. So let me kind of kind of move that forward a little bit. So I had yeah. really always had a love for technology, thought I was going to be an engineer um, and, and kind of changed direction um, after I finished some athletics and, and moved on into, uh, into full-time school. And I said, well, let me go ahead and write a software program. This is the very beginning of the IBM XT. I mean, we're going way back here. You know, and I said, let me go ahead and write a software program that keeps track of all my customer information, preferences, lifestyle, all of the stuff I need to know about them there. Today, we call that clientele. Back then, there really wasn't even a name for it. Uh, And then let me go ahead and create a point of sale system that takes into account all of the variables of which vendor I'm using and oversized charges and how much fabric and the style details with a vest, without a vest and all of those details. And then let me print out an order form. So that was the very first like way. an ERP system for your, for your. Yeah, it was kind of CR, it was CRM, POS. It did a little bit of ERP back end and, you know, and there was no internet, right? I mean, this is the early days, right? There was right. no internet. So I had these remote these remote players, the very first uh, uh, HP 110 laptop, I'll, I'll never forget this little device. I thought it was a cool, it was like, I don't know, 15 lines of, of, of screen on it, right? Like a little tiny laptop kind of came out. I'm like, I can give that to my salespeople and get them out on the field and, and have them in front of a customer placing their orders remotely. And we created a store and forward hub system, which was, you know, uh, the beginning of, of, of kind of internet technology, TCPIP sort of stuff. And, and, we started receiving remote orders. So I had direct sellers in Boston, New Jersey, uh, uh, Los Angeles, oh you know, so, and I was, we're taking so, an order. Sorry, in between this, you also, so I, I, this is like what we're really interested in is how you grew this business. So you went from the door to door, like doing it by yourself. Yep. And then you started hiring people. You also mentioned a showroom. So like, I'm trying to get this part into it as well. So you actually had people at some point, you had like physical locations where people. Yeah. Yeah. So cut- Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, we, uh, I eventually, you know, things were, going, you know, pretty well. Uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we were doing, we were really kind of driving the business and I went and I bought a building uh, out on the main line of Philadelphia. Oh, wow. Um, and um, how old were you when you bought this building in Philadelphia? Uh, say 24, 25, something like that. I don't know. 26, maybe. I don't know. I have to so, go back. So, and so, look so, so, so listeners, this is the American dream, right? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> 
Yes, it was uh, it was an interesting time. And I and I basically gutted the building and filled it with about as much mahogany I was legally allowed to bring into the country um, and uh, and created, you know, this this very elegant gentleman's club kind of atmosphere. So at that point, we started to you know, we still doing some direct selling, you know, in the Philadelphia market, as well as the showroom and then in other markets as well. But but with the showroom, we could bring people into the showroom, sit them down in front of the fireplace, give them a glass of, of brandy, uh, cognac, whatever, you know, uh, you know, a good single mall a cigar. If they wanted one, they couldn't smoke too many of them because it would mess up the clothes and uh, and and basically go through this process of understanding how to fit their head. And then at the back side of that ultimately start to show them that this is how I'm going to design your wardrobe. And we would just lay it all out. This is how we're going wow. to build your wardrobe to where you want to go. And then we so would. So this take- was like more, this wasn't like I'm buying a suit. This became, this wasn't like, I'm just showing up. To, I, I don't get the single malt and the cigar to buy a suit. It was like, you're giving like I'm giving you all my like you taking over my fashion. You're taking over my wardrobe. Oh yeah, no. Oh yeah, no. Basically, we were yeah. The, 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 once they started working with us, they weren't likely going to anybody else. And share, uh, share and of wallet. Was, so, so you're getting a big share of the clothing wallet yeah. of your individual. Uh, maybe yeah, generally. Uh, and you know, when I think about it in today's dollars, what those suits cost back in the day, I, I still sometimes kind of go like, wow, I must have been really good at this because you know, those are <laughs> yeah, but, these are pretty expensive suits, you know. Uh, but anyhow, um, Brian, Brian, can we dial back a bit? Because I'm really interested in like the early stages. Like, and obviously, you've, you already mentioned your your parents were retailers, so you grew up in a retail environment. Was it clear to you that like setting up your own business was a choice that you had, or was it, you said you want to work through college? But a lot of people go and work for Starbucks or the equivalent of. Yeah, and, yeah. Was entrepreneurship so much there in your childhood that uh, you know, it was always out there? You know, here's what's really funny. Um, when I was a child, I remember telling my parents, I will never go into this kind of business. I will never work in retail. I don't understand why you have wasted your life in something like this. You know, um, I wanted nothing. I said, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to build, you know, robots. I'm going to build, a, you know, it was, it, I had a, a, I had a workshop in my basement where I was building shortwave radios and analog computers in my basement. I was this geeky kid in the basement. And when I wasn't doing the other things, I was doing. I was in my basement, you know, thinking I was going to be an engineer. And then enough years between high school and college, you know, happened that I decided I don't want to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really want to build a business. So that's kind of where that all happened. You know, you kind of get bitten by and when you get into retail, and this is the thing that if you ever talk to any career retail people, they'll tell you the same thing. And that is it doesn't take long being inside of retail and you never leave. I mean, you just becomes it just becomes part of you. You know, the industry is just a very exciting, dynamic industry in so many ways. So, yeah, I got into it, but I didn't think I was going to when I was quite young. Uh, and then once I started my first menswear business, I knew I would always in some way be be involved in the okay, retail. Okay, so it was like a one-way business. switch. It's like, you know, the, you, yeah. st- you switch to the Mac and you never go back. So, so and can you just describe your first sale? You had this idea, but was it like, there must have been a moment when you, do you remember your first ever customer, like when you were yeah, knocking I do. on doors? Yeah, I do. And, and I remember, I knew nothing about direct selling. Okay, and I remember buying a set of cassette tapes from, and I'm trying to think of the guy's name, but any of a set of cassette tapes on how to to basically pitch, right? And I'd kind of, you know, lined up this whole sales presentation, you know, the three reasons you want to do business with me and the whole bit. And I kind of set this whole thing up and I walked in and the guy looked at me, goes, okay, I'll buy four shirts from you. And I remember just being an absolute shock that I'd actually closed a sale at that point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, here was some, you know, some big senior executive that was, uh, he was actually a gentleman with, uh, with the electric company, actually. He was a very senior guy with the electric company uh, in Philadelphia. And I was like, wow. And then I started getting pulled into some of the insurance guys and they were great at referring because they were direct sellers and they understood the problems with that. And before you knew it, I started to have like a really nice, you know, complement of customers and, and, and off it went. But yeah. Yeah, I remember those first days. My God, I was terrified. You know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know how to navigate a high-rise office building. I mean, I was that <laughs> right? I mean, you get lost. You know, in I sit there parking, lost. and I'm like, and I didn't know if I had enough money to get out of parking. I was like, you know, if I don't, <laughs> the guy going to pay me cash? I don't know quite how this is going to work. Amazing. That's so funny. Amazing. You didn't know if you were going to get out of the parking. So, and then anyway, so you got this. Uh, You've got your, you got, so I'm curious now how you got from, so you've had, so you have this big uh, 
salon or whatever uh, in, in 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 Philadelphia, and then yeah. what, and then what ha- and then did you, did you, what happens next? Are you going to set up more salons, or do you, well, because you start sending these people out with this remote thing? Obviously, you, it's hard to break, like, hard to go too remote if you your thing is in Philadelphia, right? right? So like, right. How, yeah. Well, so what happened next? So what I did is okay. So I had a few people out selling, and the plan was to basically apply technology to the whole process. I actually, ironically, just found it the other day. I actually have a flowchart of how I was going to grow the business, and it literally was applying technology to all of these different functional areas of the business. And this is well, you know, when we're talking IBM XTs. We're talking mostly mainframe computing out there. I mean, this is the right. very beginning of the of of of, of automating business processes in retail or in any industry for that matter. But I had this vision for what it was going to be. And I thought, okay, I can build a technology enabled custom clothing empire, right? That was kind of a thing, you know, kind of showrooms in all of the key major cities. If only you'd met Jeff Bezos, right? Right. It was a little early, you know. Hey, by the way, I'm gonna, I'm, so I don't forget to say this. I have learned in my life that being early feels a lot like being wrong, you know. So, <laughs> so it's really hard when you're early at something, right, you know. Right. And I was, I've been early on a bunch of stuff in my life, yeah, you yeah. know. So, so anyhow, uh, uh, make a long story short, I, uh, I, I started growing this and I had this vision to really replicate this this model 1988 rolled around um which was you know really I think it was 88 uh, it was the the, the economic downturn right yeah. really really bad time and uh, a lot of my clients were having you know struggles and I was like okay I'm not going to grow this I've built this software for myself it was pretty nascent technology but I built this technology I'm like you know I'm going to law school. I mean, what am I going to do this for? This is just really hard, you know, building out this 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 retail business. I'll just go to law school. Uh, but I had gotten really used to driving a nice car, eating at <laughs> restaurants, traveling around a lot, I was, yeah. you know, flying out to the West Coast on a regular right. basis for the people I had working out there. I was like, right. okay, I'm going to have to make some money while I go to school. So, so maybe I can sell this technology uh, that I developed. So uh, so I knew somebody who was a programmer and, and I said, hey, come on into take a look at what I've got so far. And he said, oh yeah, we could build this into a saleable product. He said, you know, maybe you could sell some of this while you're going to school, back to school. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's, that's an idea. Of course, I fell in love with building software, you know, and that was kind of the end of it. Within two years, I'd sold the clothing business uh, and, and gotten rid of that. And I was completely focused. This was 1990, I guess, at this point, and launched my first technology company, which was Imageware Technologies. And um, so you're taking the core technology and now obviously you've repurposed it for general retail. I mean, you basically like a lot of retail has the same problems. And so you're so how can you just talk a little bit about? Yeah, well, at the time. Yeah. Okay. so at the time, there were about two or three hundred small boutique businesses that I had identified nationally that could use the solutions that I was using for my own business. Okay, right. so there were a bunch of these smaller little boutiques that did enough custom. They had enough need for this kind of customer engagement, clienteling sorts of workflows that that our software supported. That I was like, okay, um, you know, I can if I productize this, I can bring this to market and go to the major, you know, a couple of trade shows that we had in the industry and, and sell it to the guys that 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 I've met over the years in the industry and, and make a living out of it. And uh, and so that's really kind of where we started. And I had one of my clients, you know, so, so the first question that anybody that's an entrepreneur sitting on the other side here is going, okay, you're going to build software. So who's paying for it, right? Uh, you're just kind of out of an economic downturn. How are you right. going to pay? That's right. You've got a building that you're paying for. You know, how are you going to pay for this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I had one of my investors, a uh, wonderful gentleman, uh, uh, but before he was a mess, he was a customer and he walked in one day and I was telling him about my vision for the stuff. And he said, well, I've got some money. He said, let's go to dinner. So we sat down and we talked about the vision for the business. And he was my first angel investor to kind of get this thing off of the ground. And um, he turned out to be, he was with me for the first wave of, 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 of my technology career. Um, and it was, it was really, uh, you know, pretty exciting uh, to, to have somebody that believed in me the way he did. And he was just a, just a really wonderful human being. Well, I've, got a question, I've got a question about your finances. Obviously, don't share anything you don't want to share. But can you yep. give a sense of what scale you were at when you, when you took the decision for law school and uh, 
had you made some serious money? It sounds like you were doing pretty well, but on the other hand, yeah, you, were, I mean, you, were qu- you were quitting in a downturn. So, you know, yeah. can you, I mean, don't, don't, again, we don't want you to share stuff you're awkward with, but on the other hand, you obviously needed an angel investor. I was thinking you might have been a multimillionaire by the time you went. To no, it wasn't. No, it's, and, you know, and, and the, the truth is direct selling businesses are, you know, they're, they're, we, we didn't scale really large. I mean, I, you know, it was so, I think, you know, we were, we were for a small boutique retail business. We were doing very well. Uh, I would say that an average salesperson was probably doing about half as much business as an entire store would in a, in a in a neighborhood. You know, so they were they were selling you know several customers a week, you know six seven customers a week kind of thing. But an average transaction even back then, you know, could could easily be seven hundred to thousands of dollars, you know, so, uh, so that was kind of what those customers were doing. So, you know, I don't want to necessarily, you know, give numbers, but I wasn't, let's put it this way. I hadn't, I hadn't killed it yet, but I was doing well. And I had had a business there, but we had invested a lot back into the business. And, and I, my goal really was to build this larger enterprise. So I was like, okay, you know, let's, let's move forward with this next thing. But, uh, but the law school seemed safe and, you know, let's all be honest, you know, you're in your twenties, you're still trying to figure out who the heck you are and what you're going to do next. It's crazy that you did all that stuff in your twenties. Actually, to be honest with you, it's like, I'm blown away that you did all that stuff in your twenties. It sounds like already a lifetime worth of stuff. And it was, you're still in your twenties. Yeah. Yeah. My first ulcer happened right now, but anyhow, The uh, so anyhow, uh, the um, you know that the business was was a nice business, but we did need to bring in capital to grow it uh, to, to grow the software side of it. So started a company called Imageware. He became a partner in, in Imageware, uh, and we went out and we built this first product. And I sold um, probably somewhere in the area of around 150 independents, maybe even closer to 200 independent smaller uh, retailers. And back then, nobody knew anything about technology. So when you were selling the PC, the printer, the software, updates, doing training. It was a package and you were, you know, kind of selling, selling it that way. So kind of got really going with that and, and loved it, you know, and then eventually right, started. This was obviously way, way, way before subscription-based anything. So oh, like no, right. one there... sale. And then how do you get your repeat? Your repeat was like based on updates that like. Uh, right. So you, know, you had a monthly, you had a monthly subscription. So what we were doing, if you could imagine when you're working with all, so we were working with virtually all of the made for the, for the made to measure part of the business. That's really where we started that this made to measure custom clothing business. We were working with almost all of the back end vendors. We actually had it set up so that we could send orders now into the factories directly. Oh, wow. That's useful. You know, so, um, but we were working with all of them. We had to keep on top of what were their fabric availabilities, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so we were sending, you know, I mean, floppies got a little smaller. We were sending floppy right. disks every week to our clients and oh, they wow. were installing it and doing, doing data updates, updates doing the updates themselves, because it really, you know, people don't realize how much the internet made life easier. Yeah. There was no such thing as an API back then, you know? Right. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, but that was kind of how, you know, how we were keeping that business rolling. And um, was, you know, we had the recurring, but we had, I mean, we had a lot of customers to go after and it was, it was a nice business. And then I started to say, well, wait a minute, if I really want to make this work, what pieces of this really apply to the larger retail enterprises? Right. And, and it was really that whole front end clientele and customer engagement, customer preference tied back into CRM. It was that kind of, 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 of the, that part of the offering that really had the, the, the most resonance. So uh, I got, uh, I started to go out after some larger retailers. So, you know, the first few that we did work with, we're doing a little custom, but we're more interested in some of the other pieces. Of it. So we went with Alfred Dunhill. I did some stuff with Saks Fifth Avenue's uh, a personal shopping program. Uh, we did, then we started to do some of their, their, their other brands that were doing made to measure as well as. But this is all you're still using your homemade, whatever. Yeah, this is the early nineties, right? This is, well, this is rebuilt, right? Keep in mind in 1990, right, right, right. we started this company and we rebuilt some software and now we had a product that we were actually bringing to market under the image where technology's name so that was kind of where i was going with that but were you, was it sort of module modular in the sense that you could yeah. actually give them that like front that like that the piece of day like sax doesn't need i'm sure doesn't need your back end of the, the, the vendors and all that but they probably mm-hmm. They were probably interested in the front end. Is that yep. what I'm understanding? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it was interesting. So the personal shopping business used the front end. They had at the time, Alan Flusser had a men's custom clothing department inside of Saks in New York. And right. so we were actually doing the custom stuff just in that one department, you know, so it was that kind of a thing. But yeah, oh, we okay. surprised it. Were, they were, okay. 
yeah, so we modularize it. You were customizing it also. You were customizing oh, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. And I had a small team of developers, and I was still living in Philadelphia at that point in time, uh, well, at least until 92. Uh, but uh, as I continued to evolve the product, it became pretty clear to me that um, I really needed a better team. Um, and, uh, and and I was taking a look at kind of where where I really wanted to to build business. And so I moved down to Atlanta to partner with a company that was a UK-based software company that also that did a lot in retail, uh, that also had a, a, an outpost here. And we started developing more and more of the technology kind of using their, you know, their teams, outsourcing as much of the development as I could, candidly, small internal team, larger, you know, team that I was that I was depending upon to build the rest of it out. Um, And there was a lot of retail, um, you know, uh, technology here in Atlanta. So I said, okay, I'm going to move to Atlanta and and basically build out my my software company in Atlanta. So that's that's really what brought me here. And that was, I think, 92 is when I, you know, I shuttled between the two places for a while and eventually got rid of the place in Philadelphia and 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 just lived here in Atlanta. And that that kind of got me uh, building my my real enterprise software companies. So we did, you know, did work with a a few larger retailers in the early days, Hudson's Bay Company in Canada, you know, a few of those players. And that continued, um, you know, to grow. Um, And uh, so I had smaller players, bigger players trying to keep the thing, but we were still candidly, you know, back to this idea of being early, being wrong. You know, it was still hard. I mean, it was, this was not like everybody was beating a path to your door. I mean, you were out there, you know, hustling in order to to sell. And why were they, how were they solving the problem? Like, I'm just even trying to imagine, because I mean, I remember back then, like, but actually I was still like, I was still like, I was still relatively, I mean, I was still young in the sense that I didn't know about business enough then, but like, how were they doing it? Like without the software, like what was the process? It was manual. Exactly. It was was papers, right? It was paper. Paper. It was paper, (laughs) paper and fax machines, folks. You know, this is, (laughs) for those of you that are younger, fax machines, uh, take paper and turn it into something digital on the other end, you know? Uh, so, uh, no, it was, um, yeah, it was manual. These were manual systems, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, it, in, in the, the customer engagement stuff, you know, I mean, people were using manual client books, right. It was, you know, a little black book and they it were, must have been a, it must've been, I don't want to say nothing is an easy sale, but like you were really solving, like you were really making, I'm sure there was, there, you had a lot of like, you had a very strong business case for your software, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Like it, so from that perspective, what, so what was the challenge? I mean, well, I, client, cli- clients, cli- clients aren't smart. If you, you've got a successful yeah. retail, so, so, yeah. I mean, you should never say this, but I, I, I mean, I, I, that's a good point. I mean, you know, you've, you've got these people who are perhaps quite wealthy, they're doing fine. And, you know, it's not their problem that they're poor guys who work in their department are doing all these manual processes <laughs> and new stuff doesn't work. I'm just imagining how cons- I know maybe we'll come on to it. I've done a lot of business in particularly barcode technologies. So I'm quite familiar yeah. with the, how hard it is to persuade someone oh to place a person. They can save themselves a fortune. They just don't care. <laughs> yeah, it just, you know, it isn't, it, it really has been, I mean, finally today, and we're a long way, I mean, there's so much has happened from those early days yeah. to today, right? But for today, finally, retailers realize that a very important part of their overall business strategy has to be technology. They have to deploy technology, make, I mean, in many respects, they, you know, like Amazon really is a technology company, right? I mean, right. But so much of retail today has a, has a, has a foundation that really is digital and, and, so today we're finally, you know, I used to say in the old days, uh, when times were good, retailers didn't think they needed to invest in technology. And when times were bad, they couldn't afford it. Right. So, uh, you know, so you were in this, this, this challenge of trying to get budget, right? So they would do small pilots, but moving from pilot and they'd go, yeah, it's, it's great, great, getting great results, but we're going to focus over here and open a new store, you know, and it was, it was that kind of a thing that you were always wrestling with. But, mm. but again, you know, I, I had a vision for, I knew it was coming, you know, I could see it. I mean, you know, that the vision for me was completely clear. So, so anyhow, so we so grew, you know, Imageware technologies and then um, somewhere uh, about 10 years later, um, I was out looking for capital and um, we had, you know, done work with Brooks Brothers. I mean, a lot of smaller ones, but some, some big names as well. And, and we said that we came across a company called Symbol Technologies, which was doing uh, mobile handheld scanning. If you were in barcode, you know, you know all about Symbol back in the early days. I mean, they were they were the first people to do really kind of enterprise class mobility uh, mobile devices. 
And they had a vision uh, that aligned with my vision, which was what they called portable and escorted shopping. It was basically clienteling on a handheld for sales associates inside um, inside of a, of a store environment and being able to engage customers before, during, and after the sale with mobile devices in various sorts of ways. So, you know, think deep customer information, think selling tools for the sales associates for outreach and communication, think product knowledge, product recommendation, upsell, cross-sell, and then on the back end of the kinds of workflows that happen in the retail environment. So our solution set had gotten very, very focused around those kinds of value propositions, uh, clienteling value propositions for, for retailers. And, uh, and Symbol really liked what we were doing. And uh, they uh, they said, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and acquire you instead of invest, you know, instead of help you raise capital, we're just going to acquire you. You're going to run a division inside of Symbol. You'll be the software group um, on top of our hardware. So um, I had an opportunity to work for, you know, uh, Fortune 500 um, for, for a couple of years there running that division for them. And, and we, you know, brought on more customers. Was it hard to make this, to take the decision to sell your company? It was very difficult, you know, uh, but I was very happy, truthfully, that I was able to to monetize it, particularly for the original investor that I referenced. That, right, that exactly. Believed me from the beginning, you know. I mean, this was a guy that, you know, we went for bagels and coffee every every morning, <laughs> you know, down the street. He was just wonderful man, you know, uh, truly one of the most wonderful people that ever came into my yeah. life. And you know, to be able to to monetize it and uh, and and all of that, that was great. And you know, and it was a very different experience. I'll be, you know, it's the only two years of my life that I've ever worked in a corporate environment okay. that wasn't yeah. of my making, I guess would be the best right. way to put that, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, I remember being on the beach in the south of France with my wife and new baby and looking at her and going, I don't have to worry about a payroll. <laughs> you know, somebody else, goes, I actually get a vacation. <laughs> this is very different, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, but uh, but two years into it, Symbol had gone through some some big some some big issues. It was a big transformation in the company. Uh, there were some things that uh, let's just call them some accounting irregularities that literally changed the entire management team of the company, and it, it was pretty well known at the time. And, uh, and ultimately led to them being acquired by Motorola. So just before they got acquired by Motorola, they came to me and they said, hey, listen, you know, we're really not going to keep this division moving forward. What do you want to do? You know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what are the options? <laughs> what, are, yeah, what are my options? Like, well, you could buy back the software, you know, if you want to do that. Uh, and like, but I get all this big exit stuff coming, right? Now, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, there's still a earn out on this thing. Like, what are yeah. we doing here? You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't one of those those moments that I was really thrilled with it at all. I was right. very unhappy about the fact, but there were changes. The company was a new management yeah. team, it's a new strategic direction. That's crazy. And, yeah. So, so so I, you know, it was kind of like being adopted by a dysfunctional family is the way I used to joke about it. You know, it's like, oh, okay, this is where I am now. All right. Now what do I do? You know, again, you kind of sit at the end of your bed that more that next morning and you go, what do you want to do? You know, uh, yeah. how do I, how am I going to, how am I going to uh, continue to move forward? I've spent my whole life building this product, yeah. uh, really kind of being the early guy in this space. What am I going to do with it? And you're, so, about 40, you're about 40 years old at this stage, I guess. Uh, I was right around that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was probably uh, at that time, 40. Two, I'm going to guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, anyhow, um, uh, I was like, okay, well, it's what I do. So I'm going to go out and raise money and I'm going to go buy the company back and I'm going to spin it off and relaunch it as a new company. Um, and, uh, and I had about six months to do it. Uh, because they had to be finished by the end of their calendar year because they, of course, had other things coming down the pike that they had to get done. So it had right. to be done by the end of the calendar. So I went out and found some investors in New York. And by the way, back then, unlike the last few years here, <laughs> investing in retail technology, people would look at you and go, what? You want, you want to do what? <laughs> Retailers don't spend any money on technology. I mean, we'll never see our money come back out of this. This is never going to happen. And I'm like, no, you got to see the vision here. This is where it's going. You know? So uh, anyhow, I, uh, I I did finally find an investment group um, that did some work with us. And um, uh, sorry, can I just ask about the detail? And again, these are just, I'm just curious. I'm just trying to imagine how it works. If somebody buys your company, I've, I've personally bought a bunch of companies. If somebody yeah. buys your company and then like it's, at some level, according to contracts and stuff like that, this isn't your problem that they that Motorola is buying them. Like so, like so, if they want you to 
get it out. I, I assume they're giving you a really good deal to get out of there. I mean, because like, they gave me a good deal to buy it back. Yeah, but yeah, more yeah. importantly, more importantly, so so here they had an asset. If you kind of think of it from this perspective, they had an asset yeah. that they weren't sure what to do with. They knew that they had all these bars and this this whole ecosystem yeah. of partners that could probably use it. You know, I didn't want to see it just be given to, yeah. to you know to the marketplace. I'd spent my life building the IP that was behind yeah. this. Right. So I wasn't going to let that happen. So right. uh uh, and I really believe that there was a monetizable event, okay. you know, another okay. monetizable event with this thing okay. in a big, okay. big. So you event. were interested. It was like you were basically and but you but you did get I mean, you, you did get a good deal. I mean, because they paid you money and then you were able to get it out. Yeah. again. No, I got so it, it back out. Like a ter- it wasn't like a terrible like like uh, because, you know, you could have just I assume they would have to pay you whatever they had to pay. Like if you. Yeah, wanted, well, you I'm not going to go into the terms of the contract, <laughs> but let's just say that I would. Had I been given another couple of years, it would have been uh, a much better deal for me. I than got the way it, it. I got You know it. what I'm saying? Okay, it was one of those things okay, where it was okay, a couple okay. of years and really wasn't enough time for me okay. to fully execute I got you. I got on the full you. plan I that I wanted to execute on. So, you know, we were just starting to really scale the business. And and it would have been nice to have had that happen at a point that it was a little further down the road. Right. But, but it, you know, it was what it was. Um, and uh, I was like, okay, well, you know. Uh, you got, so you got the investors and here you are again, you're back on the back. In the I'm saddle. back, you know, I'm back in the saddle, right? You know, CEO of a company now called Retaligent. So um, at that point in, in Retal, it was a really interesting thing because it was the last business day of the year, which was December 30th um, of, uh, of that year. And I guess that was uh, 2000, December 30th of 2002. Uh, and they I had to close it before the first of the year. And, you know, the people that have to sign it are like on boats in the Caribbean, right? And I'm trying to get this deal done, you know, and I am sweating bullets, you know, and I've got the investors who are, you know, signed up for this and this partial transaction that's happening this way and that way. And you've got debt and you get equity and you're trying to figure it out and how much of you and how much of them. And it's a very complex thing that I was pulling together. And, you know, we pulled it off at 4.30 in the afternoon on December 30th, right? I mean, on a Friday afternoon before the holiday, right? So so I'm like, okay, we, we I now own this company. Seven days or maybe nine days later, I launched the company at the National Retail Federation show. So in the meantime, I have been building trade show boots, building out my team, positioning this whole thing from a marketing perspective, worked with some really great, um, some really great people to help us kind of from a PR perspective and all the rest of it get. And there was this moment that was truly one of the proudest moments of my life where I stood there at NRF with literally hundreds of people in front of my booth, no one having ever heard of the company except for some emails that came into them. And they're like, are we going to go see these guys? Who are these guys? They're doing some really cool stuff. And uh, and we launched uh, Retaligent. Well, Retaligent was really, you know, was a really exciting business. And, uh, um, you know, there were all of the pain points that you imagine with, you know, with capital raising and all of the stuff that goes, I mean, it was not an easy business by any stretch, but, but we were able to do work with Sachs, Harrods, Armani, Polo, Calvin Klein, Hugo Boss, the Bay in Canada, Grupo Sangre, oh, wow. okay. Mexico. So I mean, you really had traction now. We really were getting traction. And, and the truth was that we were a little less early, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, the market was, was kind of coming to us a little bit more. And, uh, and I built out this extraordinary team and some of the great greatest, uh, you know, memories of my life really were working with the people that I got to work with, um, you know, uh, with, with Retaligent. And so we, we started that. Um, and so that was, uh, continued on, uh, for, for quite a, quite a while there. Um, you know, as we continued to grow that Harrods in London was, you know, kind of giving us the European thing. We're starting to look at going into Asia in the meantime, now we're thinking the next big recession kind of hit through, right? So you get this whole 2008 mess. That, that kind of happens. And, you know, everybody kind of had to hit the brakes. It was ugly. I mean, it was, yeah. it, as a matter of fact, I will tell this story because it's just, you know, everybody can point to a certain moment in their life where it changes. And I was on top of the world. Things were going well. Um, I had now two children. I had a, a little boy who I guess the time was, I don't know, around four years old. 
standing there with me, looking them digging our pool in the backyard. And I'm standing on the deck with him, you know, and I'm thinking like all these wonderful things. And my wife calls me in, my wife at the time calls me in and says, there's something really weird going on TV you probably want to know about. And it's essentially the crash, right? And it's like people walking out of office buildings in New York, carrying their stuff, you know, yeah, I mean, Lehman it's, Brothers. It's, it's, it's Lehman Brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And, and I'm like, and she goes, what does it mean? It means I should go out there and stop them from digging this pool, is what it means. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You know, well, th thank you for sharing that. that and I, I just want to dive in because you talked about amazing people and you mentioned like in, earlier in your journey, you put together salespeople. And obviously one of the things you managed to do well over the years was to attract some talented people. But have you got any, part of what we want to do with this is education and, yeah, you know, you've sure. got a perspective. Is there anything you, you learned about getting, managing people, attracting people, keeping people that either what you got wrong and then fixed or just like whatever you do, do, do this or whatever you do, don't do that? Yeah, I would say this, that, you know, there are people that I'm sure are far better managers of taking you know, uh, taking people that are a little bit rougher and converting them into super high performers. What I did is I found people that at their core were extraordinary. Um, and and real. I built my teams out of people that really all I had to do was show them the vision, constantly over communicate the vision of where we were going as a company. Um, we used to break the entire business down into functional areas of responsibility. So every area of the business was was basically a functional area of responsibility in that we had very clear goals for what had to happen by when there were people assigned to, to those functional areas of responsibility. And all of our reporting was kind of brought back up through that. I even had dashboards that everybody could kind of tie into that, that was all around that. So we always had a, a very clear idea of where we were going. Um, but it was really what I came to realize was it, it came down to learning to find great people and really being able to, and, and, it, and the organization, and this was what was really kind of interesting in, in any of the companies that I've ever been involved with. And it, I try to carry this on today in my consulting when I'm working with, because I do work with some startups, you know, to, to show them how to think about it this way. If you build the right culture in your organization, even if you make a bad selection, that person will self-select out. Okay. They won't stay with the organization because they'll see they don't fit. So once you build the right culture, it's almost, you know, the, 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 your employees kind of maintain that culture and drive it forward. And so when you find the right people, people hit the ground running, you get extraordinary performance out of them. So to me, so much of the way I built my companies was really around kind of clear vision communication, really building a great culture, empowering people. And anybody that came into my organization knew that I wanted the company to be a vehicle for them to live out their potential. So it was not uncommon for me to take somebody, let's say an administrator for me, to, to basically send them back to school to become an analyst, to have them ultimately become project manager or analyst, you know, in, in the organization. I had another one that wanted to do marketing, you know, so kind of found a really bright, you know, person in that role and then allowed her to kind of go into more of, of, of a marketing role, got her the education she needed while she was working with us. And she's had an extraordinary career in the marketing field, um, you know, even beyond that. So, but I loved using the organization as a vehicle to, to for people to kind of live out their potential and, and to really explore new things and all the rest of that. And fast track companies, you can do that because you, you know, you, you, you always have more to do than you have people to do it. So people have an yeah. opportunity to kind of grab gravitate to those things they really want to do. And so you're back. So 2008 hits, there's, you're looking at the swimming pool with your son and you're like, oh crap. And then what? Yeah. Then what? So, um, we, uh, we basically, we learned to double down and how to do more with less. I ended up recapitalizing the company, um, through the downturn. Um, and uh, went into a partnership with Microsoft where we actually oh, wow. developed a product for Microsoft on the Dynamics platform, uh, and, which was very exciting. And uh, so we basically created uh, an end-to-end -end retail engagement platform. So the front end was all this clientele and customer engagement stuff. Uh, the back end was really slice it, dice it, analyze it, campaign management, early social discovery, all of that stuff on the back end of it. And it was this complete platform uh, that you could bring to retail. We put together a partnership with, with Microsoft 
to get it to um, uh, on a global basis where they literally, the sales organization, they had about 300 uh, salespeople globally running enterprise accounts that basically had a number on their head to bring this thing to market. And we launched that at NRF in 2010. Um, I NRF rep- is that retail? That's just the, the, that's the, the National trade Retail show. Federation trade yeah, show. It's okay. the biggest event of the yeah, year. So the, when I say we launched it there, I mean uh, the gentleman that ran all business solutions for Microsoft stood on the stage at, at Microsoft and in front of five thousand oh. retailers and basically, you know, announced and showed a video of how this all works and how was that a partnership? That was just pure dynamics. Like you were just subcontracting that and that was- No, we were, we built, we built a very close partnership with Microsoft at that point. Okay, so you were getting potential revenue stream out of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So no, it was uh, no. We were really uh, we had worked it out with them, and and uh, it was a it was a really you know I'd spent a long time building uh, building an ecosystem of partners, and I've always found that to be an extraordinarily important part of building technology companies is that you need to be grabbing a tiger by the tail. Uh, right. you, you know, and I learned a lot about that truthfully inside of my time with Symbol, where I could see that doors opened faster. Right, people were more willing to do business with a larger company than a smaller company. So if you can at least get introduced through a larger company. Um, it really did a lot to accelerate kind of um, uh, contract closures, for lack of a better way of describing it. So, um, so anyhow, uh, we um, we went ahead and, and launched this product. And when I tell this part of it, you're going to go, oh my God, really? And within, <laughs> and within 24 hours, we'd brought in, during the downturn, we had brought it, but my board had brought in some other investors. I won't go into a lot of detail about this, but the, the net of the whole thing was that they decided it was time to monetize the company. So they thought we were going to sell it to Microsoft and right there at the show, the whole dynamic of the company changed. Within a period of a few months, the company was sold. Um, and, and I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, I guess this is kind of what happens with outside money, you know, (laughs) that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're, they're, they're trying to get their returns. That's yeah. You know, and, and truthfully, I mean, you know, when, when, Everybody had, had taken a bloodbath, right? In in 2008, yeah. 2010, all of yeah. a sudden, you've got good stuff happening. It's like, okay, let's yeah. go in, and let's let's get out the other side of this. So um, it was sold to an, another Microsoft partner, um, and uh, and at that point, I took a look at my life and I went, okay, I had some things going on personally, and I was like, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a change here. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, that's really what I did next is I stepped back and started to clientricity consultancy. And I said, okay, so what do I really, you know, what do I really so how have? How long is this? This is now, but I mean, look, you have all this experience. It's a total lot. I mean, I'm sure it's, it was a big life-changing event, but it's yep. totally logical at this point. You've done it all, right? I mean, like you've been there, you've done it. So you're yep. totally set up to be a, a prime you're clearly set up to be a consultant. I mean, it's yeah. like completely yeah. natural. But like, where are we now? This is like what year? So this would be. Uh, so this would be twenty. This would be twenty eleven. Yeah, twenty eleven. Yeah, like ten years well, ago, more or less. Yeah, yeah. ten eleven yeah. years ago. Right. So, um, so uh, net of the whole thing was that um, you know I stepped stood back and I said, okay, well, we've built one hundred and fifty best practices that we know that it takes to transform the front end of the retail experience. <clears throat> And, and all the way out through e-commerce, right? We've built out these practices. We understand what that is. That's a set of, of IP that I've developed that I can basically bring to market in the consulting space. Um, you know, I really understand the M&A side of it. I really understand the go-to-market. I understand how to sell into retail. Well, I can do some consulting over there too. Uh, you know, so, so the point was that there were all these skill sets that I started to recognize that I had developed through all these experiences that I'd had along the way. And I needed a fair bit of flexibility um, as personal things in my life had changed and I was going to have full responsibility for my kids. I was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to build another empire and get out there and travel 350,000 miles a year all over the world. Right. <laughs> I think, I think, and, it, and I really did believe it was a moment for me to really focus on what, yeah. you know, the other part of my life that was really important, which was really my, right. my, my two amazing kids. So. Um, so that's really, you know, uh, in, in 2011, I started Clientricity. And, and today we really, you know, as I was saying before, we do three things. We work with with retailers and we really help them through this whole visioning process. We start with a vision and we break that vision down into behaviors. Behaviors get broken down into um, very specific technology features that are there to support those behaviors. And then we help them either build or buy that. So I've worked with, you know, big companies like Signet where, you know, we did a build versus buy, but I assessed every bit of their store operations, you know, mm. 
fails, right? Uh, and there's some in the UK. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and we've broken that whole thing down into um, uh, a, a solution technology platform for them. And we basically architected that working with some other partners for them to bring those products forward. And, and they saw some some amazing you know transformation. So those like that's a typical retail project would be something like that. I'm working on one right now that we're hitting every functional area of a very fast track growing uh, regional retailer right now. Um, and we're literally looking at how to prioritize all of the various aspects of transformation that need to happen in their business from on the back end warehouse to the front end, this customer engagement and their e-commerce and their marketing and their buying and their allocation and assortment and all of these other areas. So I get to work around all of these different parts of the retail business, helping them to think in terms of behavioral transformation, technology transformation, and then who are the vendors or the players that we need to bring together in order to facilitate that. I also work with a fair number of tech companies that are trying to bring products to market, right? So they'll come to me and they'll say, okay, we think this is a sweet spot and I'll help them with product roadmaps. I'll help them with go-to-market messaging. I'll help them with introductions. I'll help them raise money sometimes. So we do a lot of that kind of work. And then I work with tech uh, uh, investors, people that are looking to invest in this space and help them really evaluate companies or help them decide whether that's an appropriate platform. So that's really what I've spent, pardon me, that's really what I've spent the last, let's say, 10 years, um, you know, kind of doing with clientricity is, is, is building out these practices. Yeah, how much of this, like, okay, I'm really, I just got to preface this, but I'm not an expert at all. I don't know where you are. I'd spent my whole life in B2B, but, but, uh, I, so like, but I'm, imagine technology and data is out there now that you, when you're, when you're doing these things, like market research, like you're trying, because you're dealing with retail, you're dealing with individuals, like, like how much of it is like you're taking data from various systems and you're analyzing because if you're whether it's for a startup or for a big company, like you need to sort of assess the client group and like what is this client group and is there a market for this? And so like, how do you get that? How do you like you just are you taking? Well, I mean, in one case, if it's a client, obviously you can take their data about their yeah they have data, but is about that like part of what you? It almost sounds like market research. It sounds like there's market research somehow involved in this. Some kind of like analysis of the sort of analysis of the of the uh, uh, of who the consumer is and what's the consumer profile. But with technology today, there's also a lot of data. I'm just wondering how does that, how do you, or is it just internet-based? Because also this, a lot of this can just be internet-based data as well now. We have so much additional data. Yeah. Um, well, it's all, it's all, everything you said is true and then a lot more, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean, and I'm not saying that in any diminishing no, way towards you. <laughs> I, I said it from the beginning. I don't know. I mean, try to imagine. Try yeah. to imagine. Yeah, no, I think um, so, so the best way to think about it is this: that every retailer today has a certain amount of customer data, a certain amount of transaction data, a certain amount of associate data, right? Like they have inventory data, you know, product data, supply chain data, all of that stuff. Right. All of those things are necessary to, to think about how you're going to manage and work with that data in various ways in order to really address the customer experience. Because at the end of the day, transactions happen because of a customer experience. Okay, so what we tend to do is come in and we may be looking at some of the analysis and modeling that's happened on their customer data and say, well, based on this, here are the programs that you need to be driving at store level in terms of store level outreach. Here's the way we want to message stuff through the e-commerce channel. Okay. And by the way, you could be doing live streaming or you could be doing text messaging through back to the stores because that a lot of what's happening right now, truthfully, is how do we take kind of the knowledge of the enterprise, take down the walls of the store, right. allow right. people to engage with us wherever, whenever they want, right. and even through the, the human side of it. So we're kind of humanizing a lot right. of what was traditionally commerce. So that's a lot of the types of work that I get to do with retailers today is, is focused around, you know, kind of this next generation of how you engage with that. But you need this whole platform of data on the backside of it. When I'm doing a complete enterprise platform, transformation, which is this project I'm working on right now, which is pretty exciting. And I've got some really great experts. You know, yeah. I don't have all the depth of knowledge in right. every piece of the, right. of the enterprise, right? So you bring in people to work with you on that. Right. But 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 when we look at all of that, you know, the data that's that's happening at the back of the warehouse, um, you know, there's there's a certain amount of visibility that needs to happen at the store level. And at the store level, that data then may have to trigger something, you know, in terms of messaging between managers and associates or out outreach to customers. So all of this stuff, these platforms have to be able to share data in some, some pretty broad ways. So, you know, today, um, 
data is at the center of everything we're doing. I mean, when you when you really get to it, there has to be an underlying platform. The real question, though, is what are you trying to accomplish? And so, so often people look at technology from the standpoint of technology out. I don't. And 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 all the projects we do, we start at the from the, the, the uh, looking at the problem of what is the ideal customer experience look like? How do people want to touch your brand? What does good look like? And then we start to design from that. And then we say, based on that, how do we drive those behaviors? Because ultimately it has to be a set of, of, of behaviors, both from the customer and, and from the brand. How do we drive those behaviors? What are the technology pieces that need to be behind it? What data is required in order to support that? And how do we replicate this and monitor and manage it in a way that we can actually measure it uh, on an ongoing basis in order to make this transformation of value to the enterprise? So that's kind of the way we look at look at the problem of transforming retailers got it and you know, do, do you know what i think about when i hear that i think uh, richard i don't know if you that i think this this kid was selling door to door and, it's, and, <laughs> and now listen to him listen to him like 30 years later or whatever it is i mean it's just nuts it's like just nuts what what a uh, what a trend like what from that to this it's like incredible what a journey no, no, i mean like what no, a journey. Uh, totally mike, mike you've actually more or less rephrased my question another way that just from your body language and your pitch and your tone of voice um it's obvious you're really into this you know you get you either you're a brilliant actor and you should have been in hollywood or or this is this this is you said you got retail in your blood but um can you get just get a sense of where you're taking this and you've had a it's all been around retail but you've done multiple things you had a tech company now you're consulting you were yeah. actually a practitioner where do you see yourself taking this and because i'm guessing you must be like 50 55 60 that sort I'm, of i'm yeah i'm on the wrong side of 60 now so to okay. be very candid but, so and, uh, and you know your your, your four-year-old is presumably 18 or uh, he's 17 yeah he is 17, 17. And, he, and he overslept this morning for school but um, um, all of that aside, okay, so can you just very like, real problems we deal with in life. You yeah, know? And nothing, nothing, nothing beats the challenges of parenting in terms of management. Um, but can you just like talk through what your future might look like in terms of if it goes the way you'd like it to go? Because there isn't time to consider all the scenarios. But how, no, how long will no, you keep you know, on working? I think you know, and, and obviously it's, it's, you know, I think we're all always looking at kind of, you know, what's the road ahead and what could it be? Um, I will say this, that um, I've waited a long time for the retail industry to finally get uh, to, to where it is today. And it took much longer than I would have ever thought to be very candid with you. But the point today, we're finally looking at how technology can transform retail in some pretty fundamental ways. I, I do, you know, very much enjoy my, my, my consultancy. I will continue to grow the consultancy. Um, I've, you know, often think, well, you know, do I want to go out there and build, you know, an, an, I mean, the second kid will be in college soon. Do I want to go out and build a second empire, you know, go out there and build another, another retail technology company? And there are, you know, there, there's some great ideas out there that, that uh, you know, we've kind of got uh, in the sketchbook, so to speak, that, uh, that, that could be done in order to do that. But, um, you know, my vision, you know, I don't intend to stop working as anytime soon. Unfortunately, I, I wake up where people think I'm already caffeinated. You know, I'm just one of these high energy people. <laughs> I love to apply that, you know, to the marketplace and to the to the problems I see in front of me. So I will continue to to, to grow this company. I may very well productize some things a little further down the road. Um, I do get an opportunity to work on so many exciting things. I mean, even what's really kind of ironic is I've gotten involved now in, you know, three-dimensional body scanning for custom clothing. I mean, things oh, that wow. go all yeah. the way back to the beginning, I've done consulting around that, right? You know, um, you know, I, I worked, you know, I've, I've worked around a lot of things that were very closely related to some of the very original ideas that I had, you know, back in the 80s. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, the, as I said, the industry's taken a long time to get there. I just look for fun things that, that where I can deliver real value, where I get to work. And, and here's the thing that happens if you do get older, you want to work with people you like to work with. So when I find people oh, yeah. that are really fun, like, like, you know, the clients I'm working with right now, I love these guys, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a great culture. And to me, life is too short not to work with people that, that you really have a common view of, of, of what good looks like just in life in general, right? Where you have good yeah. character in, in the people you're working with. So, so I try to find, you know, I, I, I think really, as I look at the next, you know, let's call it 15 years, uh, you know, for me, it's, 
probably, you know, uh, doing some version of consulting and maybe productizing something uh, a little further down the road um, as, as, as we kind of uh, look at where things go. And I think the economy is going to determine that for a lot of us, right? right. <laughs> we can all have yeah, dreams. Was, we'll see I what was, happens. I've been through a few of these. <laughs> I was struck by how actually the downturns really were actually were significant sort of milestones in your story that the, the, yeah, the economic downturns for retail in particular, they, they, they hit and they hit across the thing. Yeah. So we're, we're wrapping, getting ready to wrap, I think a little bit, but what uh, I, I'm really curious. So like you just said something right there that uh, the question I want to ask is like, if you just had to tell, like we have some young people listening to this who want to like set up their business or thinking about taking the entrepreneurial journey. Is there any yeah. one thing in particular, but I, I really do want to emphasize the thing you just said, because I love that one, which is that like choosing the people, like I, th I, I can't emphasize enough that the work environment that you choose, having the people around that you share values with, that you can work with, that will just make the experience so much better. Yeah, and yeah. You're, you're saying that as you realize that as you get older. Well, let's tell the younger people. Tell young people <laughs> now, right? Well, there, there are really, there are really a couple of, of there, there are really two things that I tend to tell. Uh, yeah. You know, Last evening, I was out with a new startup who's got some really interesting reverse logistic business. And, and I was sitting here, you know, literally having a cocktail with a guy and he'd like me to get involved in helping him a little bit and advising him a bit. And, and he's a young guy uh, with a young family. And, and, and so I'll tell you, really, there were two things that, that, that I said to him. And I said, you know, one is make sure you're building a team of people that you would choose to work with under any circumstances, right? You get a chance to choose the right people. The culture yes. of your business is the most important thing that you can possibly do. And I think I referenced that a little bit before. It is yeah. what creates a great company. You yeah. can take 15 people in the right culture and it looks like a 200 person company okay to the market because you've created something extraordinary with the way the culture works and the way that people yeah. perform and, and what they bring to market so but you also need to have trust and i think trust is such an extraordinarily important thing that everybody knows that we're all carrying the weight and i mentioned before kind of the way that you know how people basically these you know get selected at select themselves out of an environment right if, right. if it doesn't work if 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 it if you have to build the right kinds of things. So I think that thinking in terms of people and character first, and the second part of that thinking about people and character first, and this is just something that I tell everybody now that, that's taking it on, don't work a hundred hours a week. Mm. If you've got a family, uh, you need to keep your it's life. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You've got to keep your life in balance because the truth is you're as a CEO, you're spending a lot of time steering around the rocks. You know where you're going. You're pointed in a direction, but you cannot 100% control all of the variables that are going right. to come. You need to make sure that you keep the other part of your life. You can't say, well, I'm going to only do this for two years and ignore everything right. else. And, you know, right. you have to find a way to find that balance. And I think it's the most difficult thing for people that wake up in the morning trying to breathe life into a dream. They're completely committed to it, but a lot of other things can suffer. And I think that uh, that finding uh, work-life balance uh be fully committed, be completely focused, be darn good at organizing yourself, build a team, you know, with the right people, and then make sure that you have that other part of your life that's just as important that you prioritize. I, I really, I really agree with that. And I do think, I, I, I think that there's lots of ways of, of saying that. I think that one of the major pitfalls, I really believe this with small business owners and people that try to set up their business, and it is sort of the same thing, is what I would call micromanaging. You're talking about, but it, it comes down to micromanaging in the sense yeah. that but it's you're saying the same thing. It's, you want to let go. You need to let go. If if you're ready to let go and trust, and you said trust as well, if you're ready to yep. let go and trust these great people that you brought on, then you should be able to go home, and you should be able to take a vacation, and you should be able to do stuff. Right. I mean, and that that is fundamental. But unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of the culture and social media that you know they glorify a lot of stuff that's kind of stupid, actually. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I'm with you 100 on that. I mean, you don't want to wake up you know, many, many years down the road and say, what the hell did I do? What, what was I doing? You know, right. What did I do? What did I gain? And what did I lose? I mean, it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, you just have to realize that you're making choices that, that is still your life. Your life isn't your business. You're right. making, you're building a business 
in order to have the life you want. So decide first, what is the life you want? Exactly. And how do these pieces fit together? I think it's probably the way to, to yeah, do it. Awesome. It would be a great note to end on, but I do notice you've got a podcast and as, as you know, MBN is part of one of the largest uh, author interview podcasts in the world. And I think that some of our listeners might be potential listeners to your podcast. So who should listen to you? Can you just talk for like a minute on what your podcast is and who should listen to it? First, this is an opportunity for a free ad because you've given us okay, well, no, uh, you've fine. given us you know, an hour so, of your time. You know? So here's you know I have to be a little bit apologetic about my podcast. So I was uh, I was really putting a lot of energy into the podcast before COVID, um, and as a matter of fact, I had eight programs in the can ready to go uh, when COVID hit, uh, on top of what was already published. Um, all of which were completely irrelevant when the stores all closed. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, without sharing too much, I had actually moved my whole family to New York for projects I was working on in New York, you know, a few months before COVID hit. So I'm also yeah, that oh guy, goodness. right? And I'm like, okay. So I came back and I have not really gone as deep back into it. We actually are planning now uh, to go ahead and start to, re I've actually been in the, in the last couple of weeks talking to people now about bringing on new guests and starting some more stuff. The, the, Podcasts we have right now are really, and they're, they're certainly high quality podcasts that are out there, are worth listening to because they're really about how organizations have really had to think about implementing the kind of change, the people change that has to happen around customer-centric engagement. When you, even with the tools, how does that happen? So I've brought on some clients uh, and some people that have really done this kind of thing um, and, and, and interviewed them uh, uh, on these podcasts to help people understand how do you make those transformations happen? What were the kind of the challenges and, the, and what was that journey like to make that happen? Because I don't believe that enough time is being spent really talking about the people part of the equation when you apply technology to a problem. So, um, so that's been a big part of what it is we'll be going forward uh with the clienteling podcast um you know uh, we're going to be uh, doing some new shows here over the next month or two so they just google uh, your name was there a name well, how, it's the clienteling podcast it's the okay. called the clienteling it's one c-l-i-e-n-t-e-l-i-n-g okay. the clienteling podcast um and uh and you know people can certainly um you know let me know if if there are particular topics they'd like us to uh they'd, they'd like us to, mm -hmm. uh, to to bring on to the show or people they want us to interview uh but uh we're finally getting to the point now where it's like, okay, uh, I think it's time to start, you know, bringing more and more content out. And, uh, and you know, it's something I love doing. I mean, I really enjoy doing the podcast. It's just, uh, you know, it's just it's customer work sometimes gets in the way of being able to think about it, right? Well, yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. We'll certainly put a link in the a link in the show notes and, uh, and, and there'll be means of getting in touch with you via those links okay. for sure. So um, from, from my point of view, I'd like to say, Thanks to our audio editor, there's Daniel. We've got Caleb, the deputy editor of the MBN, is going to be helping with some of the other technical stuff on this show. So thank you to them and the MBN network as well. Uh, thank you, Keeman, for co-hosting as always. And last, but by no means least, thank you very much, Brian Amaral, for sharing your story with us. I think it was really compelling. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed this, and uh, uh, I'm, I've enjoyed your. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to some of your other shows. Uh, so I'm, I'm. I really. It's really an honor to be part of this. So thank you so much.